This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Here we go. Money conversations in early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the time. We face harder choices. We got the house. No, my mother said, when you get older, I wish you'd hurry to get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Hello and welcome to another episode of Meet, Pay, Love, a podcast where we talk all about money and relationships. As always, I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on today. We pay respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Carmel, my elder sister who I am recording with today, what is the topic? Thanks, Zoe. So today we're talking about weddings, how much to spend on them, who's getting married, why they're getting married and all things, of course, money and relationships when it comes to weddings why they're getting married. I don't think we're talking about why people are getting married. I just mean that getting married is becoming less and less common. So it's a significant expense to do for something that may not be important to you. Well, that's true. There is a lot of changing perceptions on weddings. And I know that like a majority of millennials are currently not married. According to um, pureresearch.org, Only 44% of millennials were married in 2019, compared to 53% of the Gen Xs and 61% of boomers. So there is a changing perceptions on marriage and why people are getting married. Do you think you would personally get married? I mean, I know you and Peter are getting there. (laughs) Define getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much personal stuff you want to release, but... (laughs) I hear there's a ring in the works. <laughs> I feel like you're not going to give me a choice here, Zoe. Um, I was literally giving you a choice just then. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think the thing that I'm struggling with is the pressure to have it a certain way or have a certain amount of people there. But I definitely think that showing commitment and having a big celebration with your friends is something that I want to get around. But I also don't feel like any kind of rush or any kind of necessity to get married in a church or have bridesmaids and do it that traditional way. I kind of just want to do it my own way. Yeah, so you want the tradition of marriage but not the traditional aspects of it. Yeah. What about you? Hmm, I don't feel the need to get married. I don't feel the need to have the government a part of my relationship. I think if I am in a relationship, I know it, he knows it, and we're happy as that is. Having said that, I don't have any excuse to have a party, so I can't rule it out altogether. But there does come other like little aspects in it for Ollie and I because he is um, a Thai citizen that if we ever wanted to go over there and live over there, we'd probably have to get married for those reasons. But there's no – and we love each other anyway. It's not just those reasons. But that's kind of the only real considerations with marriage I have. I don't feel the need to do it. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the main issue of this podcast, which is if you're going to get married, how much are you spending on it? According to moneysmart.gov.au, the average Australian is spending about $36,000 on their wedding. And that's the average Australian. With 82% of couples happy to dip into their savings for the wedding, 60% happy to get a loan and 18% are using their credit card, which basically you're still spending money you don't have. Yeah, I'm really anti getting a loan generally, but in particular for something like a wedding, that just really spooks me out a bit. But it takes such a long time to save up $36,000 or if you want to spend more. So 
Yeah, it's it's just a serious kind of consideration, isn't it, in the whole aspect of getting married, how much it's going to cost, where are you going to spend, are you going to cut costs on guests or are you going to, you know, really splash out for a big wedding dress and what what's most important to you? Obviously there are changing perceptions, as we said, like 53% of Gen Xs were married in 2019 compared to 44% of millennials. And even myself and Carmel both have different perceptions of marriage. So we did have a few discussions with people who are already married who wanted to give us their tips and tricks on what they value in a wedding and what saving costs were looking like in their wedding days. My name's James. Um, I am married. I've been married oh, five years, four years, something like that. Not very long uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but by trade, I'm a teacher. One of the things that intimidated me about getting married like my my uncle's a priest and i had heard from him that the sort of average cost of an australian wedding is sort of in the region of fifty thousand dollars and so we had to get married we were in hong kong and we just you know it was kind of like let's just do it in a in the easiest way that we can you know we had a very small group of close friends and we also figured that if because we were overseas that might just be a barrier to entry to the wedding. So we just didn't invite a whole bunch of people, which was controversial in its own right. A couple of people had kind of expressed that after the fact that they were a bit miffed that they didn't get an invite. But that that kind of made it a much more manageable thing as well that we only had, I think, maybe 20, 25 people there. And they were all people that we were friends with um, in Hong Kong. But, you know, like, like initially I had said to my mum, I don't want you to come because, you know, you can't afford it. My travel for my mum is complicated because she, you know, doesn't have amazing health. And so I said, I don't want you to come. And that offended her. You know, like she got really upset with me. And so I realized it wasn't until that conversation with my mum happened that I was like, Jesus, maybe, you know, maybe I don't have the right to not invite certain people or, you know, maybe, maybe other people feel really different, like really differently about the way that I do about weddings. Like I wasn't all that fussed. It was just a, a routine so that we can stay in the country. And anyway, we'll have another, another, you know, another wedding in Australia when we're going to have, we'll have the real thing in Australia. But in the end, we didn't like the sort of 24, 25 people in Hong Kong was enough. And we didn't have another one in Australia, which was really nice, actually. It was kind of refreshing. Uh, my name's Reese, and I live on the Gold Coast with uh, my wife, Olivia. Yeah, we definitely got married pretty young. We sort of, yeah, managed to keep our costs down and work towards our budget and stick with it. We probably saved all up for about eight to 10 months. And as far as financial help, we did get a little bit from our parents, probably about a quarter or a third of the wedding paid for by them, which is obviously super helpful. But at the same time, you just never know how much you're going to get. And even, you know, asking, it's such an awkward sort of thing having to ask your parents, hey, um, I do need to know, um, can you tell me how much we're going to get? Because you don't want to sound like an ungrateful little kid. Um, but at the same time, you need to make a budget and you need to try and figure out what it is that you need to save and, and what you can afford and what you can't afford. So sometimes you do have to have a few tricky conversations, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's all pretty fun, really, because, yeah, it's an exciting time. Something that was really important to us was was actually was the people that were there. We kind of, we wanted to try and save in other areas and still have a pretty big guest list. So we actually had 120 people up 
um, which at the time I didn't think was that many, but then speaking to some friends and going to some other weddings since then, it is a fairly big list. I mean, we were lucky enough that there was a, there happened, we looked around and we found a spot a place that had a discount on the date that we were looking at. As far as videography and photography, we did have some close friends. Obviously, we still paid them. And then even my auntie, she did the, fl- the flowers. So it just depends what your style is and how lux you want to be, I guess, because you can, yeah, you can spend a lot of money on everything or you can sort of just pick the things that you want to spend lots on and then settle with, settle with the rest, if that makes sense. I would just really go through the guest list with a fine tooth comb and ask yourself maybe in two years time, three years time, you know, am I still even going to see this person or have anything to do with this person? Because, um, yeah, it's an important day and you want to spend it with people who are going to be in your life for a long time. Thanks so much for those guys for coming on the show and telling us about their special day and how they navigated those issues. I find it really interesting. And one of the big things that I think in my planning, if I do get married, is how family comes into it and how you do get an amount of pressure from your family to invite certain people or have it in a certain way because of their, their ideas of how these things should work. Well, I think what we should say is that there's no right and wrong way to doing your marriage. It's so personal and everyone has their different capacities and different willingness. Like, although it might be a lot of money to me, it's not a lot of money to someone else or it's something that they want to spend their money on, which is completely correct and incorrect. It is fun to have your parents contribute, but there are some parents that don't have the ability to do that. It is important to have your priorities right. I have to say, if it was my wedding, I'm going to be ruthless with the guest list. I'm going to be cutting people left, right and centre, just be like, no, I'm not getting you. No. I hope you don't cut me. Well, let's not be sure. Still got a few years left. Let's see what happens. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, the thing is as well, there is the common cost. With the whole thing of prioritising what you want you got to kind of cut it down into like the different aspects that are going to cost you a lot of money, like the venue, the food and alcohol, your ceremony and the rings, the photography, the entertainment, the clothing and accessories, the flowers themselves, the whole thing will add up, but you can cut corners here and there. And like, as the guy said, one of the tips is probably cutting down your list. So we interviewed an amazing wedding planner called Fiona from Couture Weddings, and she talks to us about changes that she's seen over the years in wedding planning, what are people's priorities, how to navigate those issues, and most importantly, how you can save costs. We also talked to her about wishing well trends because I know that's kind of a contentious issue. Before we do that, we're just going to have words from our sponsors. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So what are some of the most significant changes that you've seen just generally from the last nine years that you've been doing this? Sorry, 12 years. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think really what people are spending on their gowns has dramatically changed. I remember back in 2009, you know, if you spent uh, maybe $5,000 on your gown, that was quite a lot. And if you were spending 10,000, you know, if you were going to see Stephen Khalil or somebody like that, you know, that was, that was huge. Um, But now that's kind of very much the norm, you know, Girls are spending anywhere from ten to twenty to even thirty thousand and above, uh, depending on who they're going to see. If they're buying from overseas, uh, maybe getting a Galilaha or Berta or some of the kind of Israeli brands, 
or going for some of the American brands or discussing and getting bespoke gowns made in Sydney by all our amazing uh, couturiers here. And a lot of people leave that off their budget. So a lot of the times we're just factoring in the florals and the transport and what people are uh, wearing from a bridesmaid point of view. But a lot of time that actually that cost is not actually factored into people's budgets. They, they prefer to have that outside of it. So they're actually spending a lot more really than they than they think you know what's on the excel spreadsheet do you know one thing i didn't actually realize is that for your bridal party you're the one buying the dresses and the shoes yes very much so i mean back in the day you you sometimes could kind of talk your bridesmaids into maybe you know buying the dress and then you would do the makeup and then maybe would use a shoe that they had existing in their wardrobe for example but these days it's a full styling shebang um you know the gowns now bridesmaids gowns are anywhere from three hundred dollars to two or three thousand if you want to do a custom so you know it's a huge investment and also the boys have changed dramatically again back in 2009 we would just um hire suits you know um and there was two or three companies that did that in sydney but now most uh groomsmen are getting bespoke suits as well as the groom so again, just the spends alone, just to do the bridal party, have dramatically changed. So what kind of budgets are you looking for around a wedding? Like what has been your lowest end and like highest end budget? And do you think there's ever a line where like it's too much? I mean, my smallest wedding uh, budget that I did was back when I kind of started. Um, we did a $5,000 wedding. It was like this beautiful picnic wedding, which was really fun. But, you know, that was that was very different back then. Now we're doing kind of half a million dollar weddings. We're easily spending very large amounts of money on flowers. Um, you know, the spend again back in the day, you could get away with spending two thousand dollars on an entire wedding. Now we're spending up from fifty thousand on flowers alone. And you haven't even done any of the other kind of styling components like charger plates and uh, crystal glassware and gold cutlery and all the kind of uh, the luxury linens. So it's all kind of layered on top of that. And I think when it comes to too much, I think it really just comes down to that couple and what they want to spend. That's what I like to kind of find out from them, what they want to spend, and then we work within that budget. Some people come to me and they say that they don't have a budget, uh, but you will eventually find out what that budget is, where, where the maximum is, where they will not go past. So as long as they're comfortable with spending that amount of money, then um, that's exciting for us. We get to, again, really kind of explore uh, opportunities that we probably weren't able to do with a, with a smaller budget. I mean, I remember one time we had a beautiful couple. They really wanted this flower wall. You know, I remember getting the bill. This was back probably in about 2015. So again, the kind of Instagram world had only just started and the spend in weddings had only just really dramatically started to increase. And I remember getting the bill for $35,000 just for this flower wall and just thinking, wow, that's 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 a car. Yeah, relating that to a car is um, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the price of a car and a flower wall, wow. Exactly. <laughs> and quite a nice car too. <laughs> not exactly, like, you know, not a $10,000 second hand. Like, you know, you could get like a brand new car for something like that. So, 
you know, and obviously there are obviously people with a much higher income and then, you know, they're very comfortable with that. But then there's also the lovely couples uh, that we also get that, you know, just have this amount of money and, and we work with that and we make their dreams come true. And that's that's kind of actually my favorite part is kind of trying to fit everything that they want into the budget and just kind of finding creative ways to kind of do that. You know, the majority of my clients are in their 30s. And, you know, they they have these amazing careers now. They're very busy. And so, you know, planning a wedding is what they want to do, but they don't have the time. So they get the planners involved. And then, uh, you know, that's how we kind of help them with that. But it is, it's definitely changed. Uh, I do do a lot of um, 20 to 30 year olds as well. But I tend to find with that age group, the parents will contribute a larger amount of money towards those that's interesting that um, – so do you see parents contributing for the older sort of clients as well? Yes, um, maybe not entirety, um, but they will kind of maybe contribute to buying the gown, for example, because the girl wants a $20,000 gown but would like to be more conservative in her actual spend of her overall wedding um, because that's what she wants to pay for, but maybe her mum gives her the gown, for example, or maybe they get involved in, in something that's maybe they want to invest in but maybe – can't quite achieve. So I tend to find there is still gifting in that scenario, but they're not outright paying for the entire thing. Do you find that once the parents are paying, they tend to have more of a say in the wedding? Like, do you think they take over control in some situations? It depends on the uh, on the parents, I think. Um, some parents really like to be involved. Uh, you know, I even have them on email and they're involved in the entire process. So you have the bridesmaid and the groom and the parents all emailed in the one email. And then there are couples who are fully in control with what they're doing and they're just kind of relaying back to their parents saying, hi, guys, uh, you know, we've decided that we're going to spend $11,000 on flowers. You know, could you transfer the deposit to this particular supplier? So it really depends on your kind of family dynamic, I find. So interesting what you said, like $20,000 and my like heart drops. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, know, I know. That's my life savings. <laughs> it's amazing what people are spending. It really is. Um, and I find with kind of the age of Instagram, it's just kind of accelerated that I need to do better than my sister. I need to do better than my best friend. You know, it seems to have kind of created that that culture that you kind of have to outdo the last person or yours needs to be go viral more than the last person. Or a lot of my brides are very kind of um, quieter um, and they don't even like us to post uh, on Instagram. And we, we actually have to ask the suppliers not to post as well. And they're kind of more private um, and they prefer not to be out there. And others really, really relish it. And they will kind of even source suppliers that have those big numbers on Instagram because they that's kind of what they what they want you know it's very a different dynamic to back in 2009 when we only had Facebook and we'd only really just started kind of getting business pages and things like that do you find that from your perspective because you're dealing a lot with budgets and providing different options for prices and things like that do you ever maybe suggest that they see a financial advisor or someone that can talk them through financially how they approach their wedding do you know, I, I've never, I've never done that, my darlings. I feel like <laughs> if, if that's what they want to do, then they should potentially do that. Again, I feel, again, it would probably be more the, 
30 to 40 range that might be wanting to do that because they have those careers and it is their um, money that they're investing where I find maybe the 20 to 30 year olds who are having their parents contribute, they might not be kind of factoring that in. They just think, oh, uh, mom and dad will pay for it. So we're, we're all good. But yeah, I've, I've never actually advised anybody to do that. I've always felt that that might be something that they want to do within their own families or their own relationships. That's yeah, completely understandable. What are some of the best tips or some of the best tricks that you've seen that your clients have done or you've advised your clients to do to be able to fit everything that they want to do within their budget? The first way to start, you know, if you want to have a a lower cost budget, I would start with fewer guests. Don't be inviting 600 people if you want to have a low cost budget because your, your food costs will be enormous, you know. So maybe go for a smaller something between 50 and 100 Um, Maybe go for a smaller bridal party, you know, maybe just have your best friends uh, on either side as opposed to having five or six bridesmaids because ultimately you're looking at dresses, hair and makeup, shoes. So, again, those costs can add up dramatically, particularly if you have six that that you're looking after. I would also maybe potentially try and find a venue that is both in the same, both the ceremony and the reception can be held in the same location. Um, and then you can eliminate things like having to hire cars potentially. You basically have a shorter time frame as well then. So you probably need a smaller beverage package and things like that. And that would definitely help with costs. And I would really hit um, Boxing Day sales, uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all those kind of big sales. If you, if you want something in particular, you know, maybe you're after like a cool neon sign or something like that for like the kind of welcome area and then potentially wait to purchase those sort of things. And I would also suggest getting a DJ over a band. Then you don't have to feed five people from the band. And ultimately, you're just paying for one person's labor, not five or six if you're having a big band. So those are kind of good starting points if you wanted a a bit more of a conservative budget. I really like the black. It's a, it kind of sounds like an obvious one, but one that you might forget, which is those those big sale days. What are some of the creative ways that people are now getting married that might not be in that traditional married in a church and then having a reception after the ceremony? Do have you seen different ways of having the day? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean that that's actually uh, because of COVID um, particularly that that has definitely become kind of a stronger way of doing it. Um, Even if it's not at the registry office, guys, you know, just having like a mini ceremony with a celebrant and then going to have like a party, particularly at a restaurant, because it just kind of gives you that kind of more flexibility or you, or you kind of book out the kind of private room to the restaurant. And so you're kind of really eating the food that you really want to eat, you know, and have the closest people to you, which I think in a way is the, is the best because you really get to have a conversation with with them because when you have kind of more than a hundred, I find you can't really even have a proper conversation with anyone. You're just kind of waving at everyone. Um, so I think I think that's definitely going to be a trend um, from now on. What's the most you've ever seen spent on a wedding? Uh, what I've personally planned, guys, um, is we've done half a million, which was which was a lot of money, um, but it was a bigger wedding, you know. Mm. We had 500 people there um, and a very large um, 
styling budget. You know, we had a lot of rigging. We had a lot of very large uh, ceiling installation. So those sort of things add up very quickly. But again, I'm sure people are spending more than that. But I just think we live, you know, Sydney's probably one of the most expensive real estates in the world. And I feel like as much as you want to have these amazing, huge weddings, I mean, hopefully you're also thinking about buying that house as well. But some people are in that position where they can do both. Um, so that's really exciting to see. And, you know, those kind of weddings, you really get to kind of do things that you never get to do on on kind of smaller budgets. So it's it's just really nice to kind of see how people kind of take on the planning journey. And um, that's kind of, again, one of my really favorite parts of planning weddings. And so what are some of the average costs of hiring a wedding planner? Like what are the services costing on top of the actual wedding? Yes. So everybody charges slightly differently. I basically charge a 10% charge on your spend of your budget, basically. So 10% of your budget with a minimum spend of 15000 And then I also have the smaller packages for couples who come to me halfway through their planning and they've got the gown and they've bought the, got the venue and they've bought a few things, but they haven't kind of, they've got a bit overwhelmed and they need help with the styling and kind of finessing the day. Um, and that's more like a, a $10,000 investment. And then we also do a, like uh, a $5,000 investment for couples who kind of want to plan their entire wedding themselves. And then we just come in at the end and kind of finesse the last couple of months of their process and obviously communicate all the information to their suppliers and just kind of make sure everything is seamless for them, particularly if they've got kind of interesting logistics on their days of guests are coming onto boats after the ceremony or something like that before they go to the reception. That's a really kind of helpful package. But I I believe uh, there are people that are more cost effective than that. And I believe there's uh, people that charge more than that. Um, But that's kind of the where we're at um, and it kind of captures those kind of larger clients, um, you know, who want to spend a 33 uh, or 400,000, um, but it also doesn't scare away the kind of um, lovely couple who only want to spend 100,000. Well, that's the thing. You never really think about the process on the day. Like the planning of the wedding is all exciting, but you need someone there to actually like help you execute it on the day so that you're not running around yourself trying to organize things last minute while you're also trying to get married. <laughs> the most important part of an entire wedding because again you can plan and plan and plan but if something goes wrong on the day it can really ruin the whole experience Uh, and so i think really that that day of coordination is probably the best part um even if you can't have a full-time planner that's such a good thing to have if you just want to have somebody who has your back who's going to make sure it's amazing who's going to make sure it's done exactly how you want it to be done because people do cut corners sometimes. Um, and, you know, that planner can make sure that that ceremony is set up correctly, that the uh, reception is being run um, at a timely basis and we're not getting behind time. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's the most important thing. And, you know, some some clients are like, oh, well, we don't need you to come on the day, but we'll just, you know, could you give us a discount to to plan the full wedding and then don't worry about coming on the day. I'm just like, well, there's no point in starting the planning if I can't be there to make sure everything works out. So it's a very, it's a very important part. One of your comments just reminded me of 
because I didn't really make the connection. Again, it's kind of an obvious thing when you think about it, but that wedding planners would have that close working relationship with a lot of different suppliers. They would know realistically if, you know, what prices would be offered and there's less chance that you're going to get ripped off by a supplier or no chance really. It reminds me of that old saying of if you're planning a wedding don't tell people that you're having a wedding because there's that wedding increased price that people would put on um different things like flowers might be more expensive if someone knows it's a wedding or whatever do you think that that's true or do you think that you can even plan a wedding without saying that it's actually for a wedding I mean, we have attempted to do that in the past, but now, just as you say, wedding planner, they knew, they know. <laughs> but uh, but yes, there's definitely that um, that knowledge that things. As soon as you mention weddings, things go up. But that is again a huge part of what I do is to make sure that the client is getting the best value of what they are spending, and also providing them with multiple quotes um, from multiple suppliers for the same thing. So, for example, you know we're not just going to get one florist quote; we're going to get three, and and then they can make their own executive decision on who they feel comfortable with. Maybe they connected with one photographer more than they connected with one other, but maybe that photographer is a little bit more expensive. Then you go into negotiations with that photographer and say, look, um, we went to see another photographer. They're only charging $8,000. Would you be able to kind of price match them? Or could you potentially provide us with the same amount of inclusions as that person and these sort of things? So there's a huge amount of negotiation that goes on in the background. And going back to how to cut costs or be strategic with spending money, and you gave us some really good tips earlier. Another one that kind of comes to mind for me is being intentional and picking the star of your wedding. So do you find that when you're talking to clients, there's generally like the star of the show might be the wedding gown or is there any themes there or would you be discussing that with your clients? What What's going to be the real star of the show? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of, um, lot of conversations about what are people's priority? You know, is it a $4,000 cake or would you prefer to invest um, $3,000 more into flowers and we get a $1,000 cake? I think the things that you should definitely invest in are things like venues, um, you know, what you're drinking, what you're eating, that environment that you're in is what people are spending the most time in. I think I would always invest in great photography and great videography because that is something that will be with you forever. If there is kind of uh, costs that need to be cut, I would definitely invest in the decorations around the bridal table um, and maybe kind of go more conservative on maybe half the tables. But ultimately, it's great to go see that person, see somebody more cost effective, see somebody in the middle, and then they can decide which direction they want to go. Um, but I would definitely be making recommendations um, out of the three quotes, but ultimately it's up to the client what they want to choose. That's really good advice. And do you see any, we haven't really talked about same-sex marriages specifically, although I'm sure pretty much everything that we've talked about applies to same-sex marriages equally. Um, Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, with same-sex marriages, you're potentially looking at, let's say it was, um, you know, two men in a gay couple. You're ultimately looking at somebody probably with a higher 
income because both of them are probably in a kind of higher position, earning a lot more. Um, and so, yes, you you did tend to find that they would have um, larger budgets to contribute towards weddings. And and that's kind of, again, very exciting that that we get to kind of invest those those funds for them. And so also on that, when you organize a wedding, do you do different um, religious ceremonies as well? Like do you have a good understanding of different religious ceremonies and how mm. the each one's got their own traditions? Absolutely. Again, really the favorite part is how we kind of incorporate, um, for example, you know, maybe a Chinese bride with an Aussie groom, you know, and we're doing the kind of Chinese tea ceremony. We're doing the Chinese door games. And there's kind of a whole process around that, that we kind of implement into their day. And it's kind of really fun. And, you know, things like Persian weddings, you know, they have this amazing kind of um, sugar feast um, laid out during the ceremony with this beautiful ornate frame. Um, and actually in Persian culture, they are married when they dip their fingers into honey and lick each other's fingers, you know, like, so it's, it's such an interesting thing to kind of bring those um, traditional elements into these kind of very modern weddings. Um, Korean, um, they do this really cool ceremony where the mums and dads kind of throw plums onto this kind of silk scarf that the bride and groom are holding and they kind of try and get the plums to get off the scarf that makes sense um and ultimately if any plums remain within the scarf that's how many children you're going to have so it's really kind of so interesting and because aussie's so multicultural you're always every single couple is a, a new kind of fusion of different cultures and that that's that's one of my favorite things to find a way of bringing those those two different um, backgrounds together and making feel that you know their parents feel that we have made sure that we have covered all the traditions um, and implemented them into the wedding. What is your experience with? And I think it can be controversial. Is the idea of receiving gifts or doing a wishing well? Do you find that there's any trends or do you provide advice with those two options or options to receive gifts or money? I think there is a very strong trend in in cash these days, guys. Um, I feel like the gift registry has potentially left the building a little. Maybe, again, when I first started back in 2009, we were potentially definitely doing more gift registries. But I tend to find that most people are now doing some form of wishing well, some sort of contribution to their lives or to their honeymoon. I think it also depends on their backgrounds, if kind of maybe they're old English um, and kind of maybe they would prefer not to receive gifts of cash, then definitely gift registry is more for them. But I tend to find um, as these kind of younger couples are going into their lives, um, we are definitely doing more wishing wells. Yeah, that's right. And I think I would have a strong preference towards a wishing well because I already live with my partner. We own a house together. We have our stuff. I don't need an upgrade on the stuff that I have. Have, you know, I think, it, yeah, that I think it's just probably more practical, but I agree. That's great. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thanks for coming on the show. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Fiona, for coming on the show. I feel really pumped and excited after listening to everything that she had to say. I feel a lot more 
keen to plan a wedding or like spend for a wedding before I just felt a little bit pressured to, you know, have to invite certain family members and have to do it in a church and have to do it a certain way. But that's not really what I want. I want, I just really want it to be like my very best friends and really go large for those people that I am going to see day to day and the people that I do share my life with. Does that make sense? Yeah, honestly, I'm more excited about like the creative ways of saving money than I am like planning that than getting married. <laughs> like that seems so much fun to me now. Yeah. And it's funny with them, the parental contributions as well, like thinking about that and how they might want to say or might want to be a part of the whole planning aspect kind of puts me off having a parent contributing. Yeah, it's true. I, but I think it's important. I mean, it depends on your means, obviously. Not everyone can afford to contribute thousands of dollars to, you know, a one-day thing. But I think it's it's kind of like a nice way for them to be involved and share that day with you. I don't know. It, it just really just depends. Do you know what I found quite triggering is when she was talking about like the age of Instagram and how that has impacted weddings and people are going big or going like go big, go home just because it would make a good photo on their Instagram. I just don't understand it. And I work in marketing and <laughs> like my life is Instagram and I just would not spend that amount of money just for a good photo to show the masses. Yeah, it just goes back to values though, doesn't it? Like I do get from one perspective, like you only live once, you're only young once, like this is your one day, like go large. Like I get that and I probably will have an aspect of that. Like I do have a dream that I'll have, and this is a little bit extra, but I do have a dream that I'll have Aperols and oysters somewhere. Oysters? Yeah. (laughs) You're going to have to go pick them and shuck them yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but that's fine. I, I like, I just have a dream that I'll have those two aspects of the, them there. I don't know why, but anyway, yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it's, it just goes back to values though. And as Fiona said, like, if you have the money and that's something that you want to spend it on, then like, you know, go for it. Enjoy. Mm. Well, having said that, although it triggers me, I do support it if that's what someone wants to do. I'm not shaming anyone and the way they want to have their wedding. Anyway. That's probably it for today's episode. (laughs) Like to thank everyone that was involved. As always, if you had a thought or wanted to contribute something or just want to tell me off for like not really wanting to get married or supporting that much wedding stuff, please feel free to email us at mpl at equitymates.com or you can reach out to us on our Instagram at meetpaylove. Please also rate and review us. Every little bit helps when it comes to discovering a new podcast. Thank you to those who already have. Anyway, it's been a pleasure and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Meet Pay Love is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Meet Pay Love are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Meet, Pay, Love acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.